Don't forget, we have these devotionals here, so I don't think we have enough for every single person, so come and get yours before they run out. They'll be up here after um, service as well. I really appreciated Erica's prayer this morning. Where is she? I really appreciated, um, Erica, your prayer this morning because you mentioned um, prayers for the pastors, protection for them, as well as their families. I just realized, thinking about it, that my husband, Hun, um, he's sick, and so he couldn't come to church today. And we've been married for almost 23 years. It is the first time in almost 23 years that Hun has missed church because he's sick. He's never, in all the years I've been married to him, ever been sick on a Sunday that he would miss church. It's the first time. So, you know, with Thanksgiving, I'm, I'm thankful. It wasn't anything I cooked for Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's food poisoning. That's why he's sick with food poisoning. But um, it wasn't anything I cooked. It wasn't because, because we all ate the same thing. My daughters, me, my mom, and aunts and uncles, everyone. It was something else. But so I do really appreciate the fact that um, the congregation prays for us, the pastors, and our families, and just for pre- protection over health and, and, and everything else. But that's where Hun is, um, that he's ill today. I hope that everyone did have a really good Thanksgiving. Um, Now that Thanksgiving is done, all our attention turns to what? Christmas preparations, right? My daughter loves Christmas, loves, loves, loves Christmas. And it's not, um, when she says she loves Christmas, she's like, mommy, I'm so excited. Oh, man, she's like so excited. It's not that um, she's so excited about Jesus, <laughs> baby Jesus, but she really enjoys all the, particularly like the um, Hallmarky Christmas movies, you know, on Hallmark Channel or Netflix, for some strange reason, if you check Netflix, there's an awful lot of original Netflix Christmas movies that are out this year, just tons of it, and she surfs and looks and, and um, wants to watch all of them. Um, they're kind of sappy. They always, you know, they're all going to end well. No Christmas movie ends, you know, badly. So it's a feel-good, guaranteed type of thing. But I just thought it was interesting that she's really excited and loves Christmas. But one of the main things is really that is are those movies. So Christmas gift shopping is in full swing, I imagine. We had Black Friday, and then Saturday is this thing called um, Small Business Saturday that we were supposed to go out and um, uh, go to shop at these small um, stores and keep them in business. And then tomorrow is Cyber Monday when everyone's supposed to be sitting at their work uh, (laughs) office desks um, and shopping online. Tomorrow's my day off, so I can do that without feeling guilty. But for the rest of you who work tomorrow and who will be doing Cyber Monday. And also, our calendars are, are beginning to get really filled, right, um, with dates for Christmas parties, family events, office parties, just a lot of things, a lot of gatherings and happenings all around uh, this Christmas time. And of course, who can forget, we have to do our Christmas cards. Who here has already gotten their Christmas family photo done and they're just on top of their game and they're ready with their Christmas photos? I saw one hand go up. Two, three, man, you guys are so envious. But yes, you know, getting the family together to take a photo and just ordering the Christmas cards. Also decorating the house. I don't know how many of you guys go all out in um, decorating your homes, putting up the Christmas tree, whether you go out and chop your own fresh tree or put up every year the plastic one, um, the fake ones, whatever you do. These are all things that we think of when we hear the question, are you ready for Christmas? 
Are you ready for Christmas? And then you automatically go through in your mind the list of things that you've got to do and, and all the things that you have to do to prepare for Christmas. Few, if any, take the question to mean the spiritual aspect of the season. When I say, are you ready for Christmas? Very, very few, if any of you, are going to think, oh, is my heart ready? Oh, do I have, you know, the nativity, you know, my family worship ready? And, you know, anything to do with the spiritual aspect of Christmas and Jesus. Few of us think that. I know that the phrase has been, it's so cliche. I know this phrase is super, super cliche, but I really think that the world does forget that Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for the season. I mean, every I used to cringe because there was a time when, the, when the, this phrase first came out that it was just everywhere and it was like, you know, overused and stuff. But I just go back to it. Jesus is the reason for the season. And I guess it really baffles my mind that we, so simple, and yet we don't remember that. And it's not even really important to most of our friends and family and certainly not to the world. And many Christians are guilty of it too amid the hustle and bustle of just, you know, everything that the season brings. And it's not just the secular or, you know, just the world, but even us as Christians, as devout Christians, faithful Christians, when we think Christmas, often, more times than not, we're not thinking about Jesus, but we're thinking about everything else that comes with the, the word Christmas. And so today I want to continue my series on people from the Bible, and I want to look at someone who is uniquely associated with this time, uniquely associated with the season because of his particular message. He's the one that the prophet Isaiah was speaking about as a voice of one calling in the wilderness. And his message was what? His message was, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And you guys all can guess who I'm talking about. It's John the Baptizer, better known as John the Baptist. I know some people are real picky, and they don't like to call him John the Baptist because you're like, that's not really, his last name is not the Baptist. You know, he, that's what he does, John the Baptizer. But Jesus calls him John the Baptist, so it's good enough for me. So I'm going to call him John the Baptist. And of course, it's John the Baptist that we're thinking about here. And all four Gospels, all four Gospel writers, they include the story about John. They mention John the Baptist, the one who, com who comes before Jesus, who is the forerunner to our Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes preaching the message for everyone to get ready for the coming Messiah. That is his message. Get ready, get ready, get ready. It's happening. It's at hand. It's coming. Get ready for the coming Messiah. Now, most of what we know about John the Baptist's background actually comes from one of the Gospels, and that's the Gospel of Luke. His parents were Zechariah and Elizabeth. A lot of you guys are quite familiar with his background, but I'll just go over it quickly. His parents were Zechariah and Elizabeth. Both of them were direct descendants of the priestly line of Aaron. So they are from the priestly line, and John the Baptist is as well. They lived in the hill country of Judea. His mother Elizabeth was a close relative of Mary, who is the mother of Jesus, which makes John the Baptist and Jesus family. John's birth was unusual in that his parents are quite old, and actually they were unable to conceive. The Bible says that they could not conceive, and they were well along in years. So let's look at Luke for the details of how then um, John's birth came to be. Luke chapter 1, 
if you have your Bibles, you can open, or I think the you, uh, the app, the Bible app, you can follow along there. But Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through um, 17. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Oh, Zechariah, he was doing his priestly duties. He went into the temple, and he went there to burn incense. And while he was, Zechariah, was in the temple, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, verse 15 says that even before he is born, that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. As I was preparing today's message, I, I found something very interesting that I had never noticed before. You know, as many times as you read the Bible, you find new things, right? I found something very interesting, that this family was unique in that, as I said, they're both the parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth are from the priestly line, but also the Bible is very specific about saying that the mom, the dad, and even here the baby, before he was even born, were filled with the Holy Spirit, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me explain. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary, um, the mother of Jesus, appears to Mary to tell her about her impending pregnancy. You know, he appears and says, you know, do not be afraid. This wonderful thing is going to happen to you. And when he tells her this, Gabriel also lets her know that her relative Elizabeth is now already pregnant as well. And Mary is aware of the fact that it was, you know, she's old, her cousin is old, and that um, she was unable to conceive. But the Gabriel, the angel, lets her know, even now, your relative Elizabeth is also pregnant. And so Mary decides to run and go visit her relative. At that time, Mary got ready. And she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. It says the mom, Elizabeth, was filled with the Holy Spirit. When the angel first told Zechariah about having this son, Zechariah doubted. He didn't believe. I mean, it was a hard fact. He was old, and, you know, it was pretty difficult for him to believe right away or automatically that his wife at this age was going to be able to produce and give him a son. And so when he hears this news from the angel, he doesn't believe. So the angel causes Zechariah to become mute until after what he has said will happen happens, until after the birth of the baby. And it's eight days after that John, baby John, was born when he is circumcised, that, that Zechariah could speak again. After Zechariah says, yes, we're going to name this baby John and not Zechariah after me, the dad. And his first words, Zechariah, so he's been mute during the pregnancy of his wife, and once he's able to speak again, his first words are praise, and it is a prophecy. These are verses 67 and 68. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit 
and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. And it goes on and on and on, several verses of Zechariah's song. And so I just thought that it was very interesting that the mom, the dad, and the baby Bible being very specific to point out that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This was one Holy Spirit-filled family, right? And in the long first chapter of Luke, it ends by telling us, it ends by telling us, the last um, the verse says, that John grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. So he grew up and he lived in this wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. And he appears publicly in today's text. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 3. So if everybody can open your apps, instead of open your Bibles, open your apps to chapter 3, um, verses 1 through 10, and that is the text that we're going to focus on today. Let us look at that. And this is when he bursts on the scene. In those days, John the Baptist came, this is the NIV version, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Here are a few illustrations of John preaching in the wilderness. Because, you know, sometimes it helps to have a visual. So these are just Google images that I found of John in the wilderness with the camel's hair and the leather belt. It's another one. Although this belt looks a little fancy. I was looking closely at that belt. Do you see that? It's like a belt buckle. Um, And this one. In the Gospel of John, I am the voice that cries in the wilderness. Make a straight way for the Lord. So as people run around getting ready for Christmas at this time, as Pastor Q mentioned, that the Christian calendar begins with Advent. So today is the last Sunday of the year. And then next Sunday when Advent begins, it is the first Sunday of the Christian calendar. There's ordinary time and, you know, Christians just have their own calendar. So right now as we get ready for Christmas, I want us to look at what the Holy Spirit-filled man of God This Holy Spirit-filled man of God called John the Baptist, what he told the people of Israel to do to get ready for the coming of Jesus, the Son of God. He had a specific message for people saying, get ready, the Messiah, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so I want to look at um, this text again. And there are four key themes in this passage that I want to share with you. And they're very instructional for us today during this season as we get ready. So as I go over these four themes, think again about the season, about what you're doing um, as we get ready for Christmas. And the first one is preparation. The word is preparation. Although John was known for baptizing, 
you know, hence his title. It even reflected it, John the Baptist. He was first and foremost a prophet. Yes, he baptized people. But again, he was first and foremost a prophet. And as a prophet, he came with a word for God's people. He came with a word, a message, something that he had to proclaim. And that was to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. Now, the people, the Jews of that time, they knew that a Messiah was coming. But they had, you know, the intertestamental times between um, the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was silence. There, we don't know what's happening. Nothing is written of that time, of that period. And the prophets are not speaking. And then during this time, this, in this silence, and then we finally hear this prophet, this John the Baptist, burst onto the scene with this message to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And we read in Matthew that John the Baptist is the one that Isaiah spoke about that he's the one that Isaiah said would be a voice calling in the wilderness. Isaiah knew this, and he spoke about this way back, many, many, many years prior. And the one he was talking about was this forerunner, was John the Baptist. Let's look at the original text in Isaiah. So again, if you open to the Old Testament, we want to go to the original text, Isaiah chapter 40, starting with verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The word prepare here in Hebrew, it refers to clearing out. It refers to just getting rid of, cleaning something out, clearing out. So we're to clear out a way, clear out a way for the Lord. We're to make a smooth highway for our God. This refers to the ancient Near Eastern custom of sending representatives ahead to send um, uh, people who would proclaim and speak and announce the arrival of a king or, you know, uh, of of royalty when they're traveling. So in the ancient Near Eastern custom, they would send representatives of the king ahead to prepare the way for the visit of royalty, of the king to come. What would happen was that the road that uh, the king would be traveling on, it would be prepared by what? Filling in potholes, um, for removing fallen trees or debris that might be in the road, making the bumpy roads smooth so that it will be easier for royalty and his entourage to travel, stuff like that. And we can understand that, right? And even today in modern day, I'm thinking of the image of such things like, you know, when the president of the United States travels, what happens? Before you see the black um, limousines or, or all that stuff, you see the policemen in there, like motorcade, you see like the motorcycle police and stuff, and they go on ahead clearing the path and making sure that there's nothing in the road to just make it safe and passable for this important person that's coming. Same with royalty in Britain when you saw the wedding of, of the royalty and stuff like that and the, the carriage that comes. Again, they've got the um, palace guards or something on the horses clearing the way going ahead. In that same way, this is an image, you know, as far back as even then, to clear the roads, make path um, straight, if the roads are bumpy, to clear it out, get rid of the debris and things like that. So just as the road had to be cleared of obstacles and debris before a king could come, John was calling 
for the people of God to remove the things in their lives, in their hearts, that might hinder their acceptance and welcoming of the Lord. So think about it as a metaphor. Just as the physical clearing of all this for the welcoming and arrival of the king, what are we doing to get rid of and to prepare our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and everything about us, getting rid of things, you know, clearing things out, making smooth um, for the arrival, the acceptance and welcoming of the Lord. He's calling for people to prepare for the arrival of the king of kings and with him the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is his message. This is bold. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Prepare the road. Prepare the way. Prepare your hearts for this monumental event, the king of kings. So I want all of us to remember this as we go about preparing our homes for Christmas decorations, as we prepare to put up the Christmas tree. The chances are that you had to clear things out. How many of you guys have already started putting up decorations? Some of you Christmas cards? Yeah. Oh, man, you guys are good. You guys are getting an early start. Chances are, though, Richard raised his hand, that when you're clearing, you know, when you're putting up decorations and especially the tree, what do you have to do? You have to make room right? You have to make room for your holiday stuff. And because that space is probably already occupied, right? And so for the tree, you probably had other stuff already sitting there, and then you have to make room, move things around, move furniture or whatever, uh, what have you, to make room for the tree. We have to do that. We have to move our piano. Um, so we're thinking of not putting up a tree this year because we don't want to move the piano. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's that the spot, the perfect spot for our Christmas tree in front of the um, window of our house and stuff is where the piano is now. And so I'm sure, think about it, the things that you have to move, rearrange, clear out, you know, clean up, things like that, just for a Christmas tree to go up or just for, you know, other lights and uh, decorations and, and things to go up. As you prepare to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, make room in your hearts and minds. For Jesus, not just room in your homes, cleaning things and organizing, but really to take the time to really prepare our hearts and minds. And I was thinking about this. If you think there, like I said, it was a Black Friday, Small Business Saturday. You skip Sunday, and then there's Cyber, Mon uh, Cyber Monday, right? You skip Sunday. I guess commercial America hasn't created something for, for Sunday, somehow, some way to spend our money, right? And I was thinking, Sunday is the one day that graciously, mercifully, they haven't you know, put some sort of a um, you know, promo or thing on it. Make Sunday then, because it's before um, Advent Sunday has even uh, come, but make Sunday the day that you would clear out and prepare your hearts and your minds. Friday, again, do your shopping Saturday, but Sunday, make it as part of your regimen or your routine or your ritual that Sunday is going to be that day where you take that day and set it aside for preparing not just your home to put the decorations and stuff, but prepare your husband, your wife, your children, and a day set aside to prepare your hearts and minds, your thoughts and focus on what is to come. The second theme is confession. The first was preparation. The second theme is confession. If you look at verses five and six, 
People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him, by John the Baptist, in the Jordan River. Confession is often overlooked. When we consider the Acts prayer model, everybody is familiar with the Acts prayer model, A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, the Acts prayer model. And I was thinking about this too. I think most of us are pretty good with adoration, especially we at Hope Church, just because we've had a huge dose of uh, Bob Hartley and just the adoration prayer model. I think we're pretty good. When we pray, a lot of us, our first go-to is to adore God. I mean, we spend actually extended time adoring God and telling uh, God how wonderful he is. And just in this place of marveling and adoring, I think we're pretty good. We've got that one down. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving as well. When I hear people pray, you know, it's great. People really, really, really are thankful. They thank God for a lot of things, and they're pretty specific. I thank God for this. Thank you, God, for answering my prayer in this. Thank you, God, for future uh, pr uh, answer to prayers. I mean, we're pretty good about that. And then S, supplication. We're really good about asking God for things, really good. I don't need to even you know, talk more about that. We're really good about asking God for things when we pray. But confession, confession, many of us skip over confession. It's one of, I think it's the, the one, it's the weakest of the A-C-T-S. Confession, I think, well, for me, I confess. <laughs> I confess, yes, that confession is the weaker one of the A-C-T-S in my prayer life. And I think some would argue, some would say that God is all-knowing. He knows everything anyway. He knows everything that we do. He knows all my sins. He knows all the sins that I have committed. So why do I have to confess it? Why do I have to tell him about it? He already knows. But to confess means to acknowledge or to admit that you've done something wrong. Yeah, God knows. It's not like he doesn't know. You're not telling him anything new or you're not, you know, sharing some revelation with him. But it's for us. It's for us to be able to admit. We're going to have to be able to admit and acknowledge the sins, the things that we've done wrong, and, and just the sins that we have committed, that we've done something wrong. And it's not enough just to say in general, Lord, I have sinned, forgive me. Forgive me my sins yesterday. Forgive me for the sins I will commit today and for tomorrow. Amen. That's like a blanket, you know, request, and that would just pretty much cover everything, right? And so some people may try to go that route, but it's not enough. Our confessions need to be direct and specific. When you do supplication, aren't you direct and specific? You know, we don't like to just say, bless me, bless me, bless me, but you like to say specifically how God may bless you, right? You'd like to be very specific about your adoration. Tell God, who is he to you? He is the amazing God. He is this and that, and you adore him with specific words. Thanksgiving, like I said, you thank him. Supplication, you ask for specific things. But for confession, we're just like, God, you know, I'm a sinner. Yeah, you know. Okay, forgive me. And then you try to move on. You try to kind of gloss over that. Our confessions need to be direct and specific. Look, looking back to the Old Testament, if you look at Leviticus chapter 4, now I'm willing to bet not many of us read Leviticus chapter 4, 5, and 6. <laughs> When's the last time you read Leviticus chapter 4, 5, and 6? 
Well, when you look at Leviticus chapter 4, starting with chapter 4 in the Old Testament, there's a lot of information there about sin offerings. There's a lot of information. And you would be surprised if you've never read Leviticus chapter 4, 5, and 6. You'd be surprised that there were specific animals were required for specific types of sins, for specific transgressions. Your offering differed according to the according to the sin that was committed. Did you know that? Your offering, your sin offering, differed according to the type of sin that was committed. And these offerings, they weren't done in secret. You didn't go hide in your garage, in your tool shed, and offer something because I committed this type of sin, I'm going to offer this type of animal. You didn't do that, but it was done in the open. It was a public thing. So all the people could see what you were offering, what particular animal you were offering. So thereby... They would know what particular sin you had committed. Think about that for a moment. These public sin offerings, as you are sacrificing and offering these um, things, people see and people would know what sin you have committed. I don't think that many of us would be too keen on the idea of public confessions of our sins. What if on Sunday we made as part of our order of worship the public confession of our sins? That the different types of sins, we call it out, and those who've committed that, we all stand over here. And we stand, this type of sin, people stand over here, and we make like four groups or something like that. And you go to the group of that, the sin that you committed or that you feel most an affinity with. I don't think we'd be on board with that. Because we feel that it's too personal. We feel that our sins and our confession of sins is just between me and God. It's just between me and God. No one else needs to know. But... There's that little verse in James. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This tells us that the confession of sins should be more public than we make it. They should be actually more public than we make it. Now, I'm not saying that we should put our sins on blast, on full blast. I'm not saying we should broadcast it, put it on social media. We're not going to put it on our Facebook, you know, the group, your names and match sins and things like that. I'm not suggesting that we do that at all. But if you look at this verse, we should find brothers and sisters. We should find brothers and sisters in Christ that we are able to confess and confide in to pray with them. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I want people whose prayers are powerful and effective to pray for me. If your prayers are powerful and effective, if if you're righteous, then I want to pray with you. I want to come and pray with me, and I will confess some things to you. Let's share, and let's let's confess, confide, and, and, you know... Accountability is such a powerful thing, accountability. So often, the reason why that we're stuck in habitual sins is because there's no accountability. We're not confessing it and sharing with anybody else, just with me and God. And so then we're prone to fall into it and do it again and again and again. But if we've got someone, the prayers of whom are powerful and effective, that's a different story. To confess to one another our sins and to share and confide in one another is so powerful. This old Scottish proverb, open confession is good for the soul. I didn't know it was a Scottish proverb. Open confession is good for the soul. This thing about confession, you know, I was thinking about it. You guys ever watch um, Jerry Springer? No? Yeah, don't watch it. (laughs) 
But you know who Jerry Springer is, and you know what I'm talking about. You don't know? Yeah, don't know. Um, you don't have to know. But just suffice it to say, Jerry Springer, I don't even know if Maury Povich is still on. But you know what I'm talking about? Those um, talk shows where they, it's crazy. But they parade, um, you know, people on the program. And it's, it was so fascinating to me that people would choose to go on national TV to confess things. That's the premise. A lot of the episodes or a lot of the uh, shows of Jerry Springer and these type of shows is you come on the show and you have some huge secret that you want to say to your mother or to your husband or you want to say to your child. And it's like some mind-blowing secret, um, something crazy like, you know, I'm not really your mother. Um, I'm your... <laughs> sister or something, I don't know, like crazy, crazy family stuff, really crazy family stuff, right? Or really, you know, um, yeah. So, um, but I always wondered, why do they do that? Why do they put them, set themselves up for such incredible ridicule and shame? It's crazy, it's trashy TV. But you know what I realized? Open confession is good for the soul. A lot of these people are scared. A lot of these people, have been carrying it around for a long, long time. And, and so they feel that if they're going to let this secret out, then they're going to go big or go home. You know, they're just going to go big with it, go on national TV and let the chips fall, you know, just like out, you know, put it out there on full blast. And then they just, it's like, I guess, this release. I guess it's just, you know, their soul, and, and there's just this freedom in being able to confess. So I realize that's why a lot of um, them, they do it. Open confession is good for the soul. The third theme is repentance. Now, a lot of people may think that, well, confession and repentance is very similar. It's practically the same thing. But repentance is taking confession to the next level. Repentance is taking confession to the next level. And this was a major theme of John's message. John the Baptist came preaching the message of repent. Repent, 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 right? And to repent literally means to change your mind. It means to have a change of heart. The Old Testament Hebrew word means to turn away from and to return. So there's like a physical turning away and an actual movement of some sort. You're, you're turning, you are returning. And so it's not just turning away from sin, but also returning to God. You're turning away from sin and returning to God. And this is always the case with repentance when you think about it. Because turning away from our sins is impossible unless at the same time, while we're turning away from sin, we're turning to God. Because otherwise, think about this, otherwise we're only turning from one set of sins to another set of sins. Think about it. When, when I'm facing, if there's people standing here and I'm facing this person, when I turn away from this person, I'm now facing someone else. I'm turning to this person. And so when you turn away from sin and you're returning, you're turning to God. If you're not choosing to turn to God when you turn away from sin, you're just turning to another sin. Something else is going to fill that void, right? So think about that, that repentance is this next level. And we turn to God. 
And why was John calling the people to repentance? Why was John saying to the people, repent, repent, turn, turn, turn with me? Because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. It was imminent because the one who is more powerful than him, whose sandal straps that he was not even worthy to untie, even as a servant, was coming. And that was his message. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The one whose sandal straps I can, I'm not even worthy to touch, much less untie, he is coming. And just as he came then, he will come again. I think we so often forget that he will come again, the message of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This same message of repentance here for all of in this that John the Baptist is saying is the same message for us today sitting here in the year 2018, especially as we move into the season of Advent, the season of expectation, the season of, of waiting. And as we do this Advent, expecting and waiting, this is the time that we really need to turn away from the things of the world and really actually turn towards God. And the fourth and final theme, the fourth and final theme is producing fruit. Producing fruit. Many from the whole region of Judea and the Jordan River, they were coming out to see John the Baptist. They came out to see him, they came out to hear him, and they were all being baptized by him. Some people were coming because they were just curious. They heard some crazy man, you know, dressed in camel hair. You know, he's out there just <laughs> preaching nonsense, and maybe he's crazy. It's, it's quite a spectacle. Let me go see what's happening. So some people out of curiosity may have come. Some people who genuinely, because they're looking forward to the Messiah, and they're religious and devout people and they hear rumor of someone in the wilderness, someone that Isaiah the prophet had spoken about that there will be a voice in the wilderness, you know, dressed as such with the same message and you're like, oh my gosh, could this be it? This be the Messiah? And so they thought John the Baptist was the Messiah and so they rushed out to see him. And others came out because they were ready. They were ready. Maybe John the Baptist, he wasn't the Messiah, but he was preaching the message that the kingdom of God was at hand. It was imminent, and the Messiah was coming. So they would all come out, and here they came out to be baptized, even the Pharisees and Sadducees. John had these words for the Pharisees and Sadducees, verses 8 and 9. He said, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. These were the Jewish leaders, and it seems that they too, they were coming out to be baptized by him. Why would the Jewish leaders, you know, they are very, um, very, um, what is the word I'm looking for? They're, they're very not trusting, right? And they have all these questions, and, and they don't um, trust what's going on. But they still came out, and they were willing and being baptized by him. But John saw through them. John the Baptist saw through them, and he calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them snakes. I think that the Pharisees and Sadducees, their thinking, their thinking may have been that getting baptized would protect them, that it would ensure them against the coming wrath that it would protect them and ensure them against the coming wrath. Just as their claim to Abraham as their ancestor entitles them automatically to God's promises and God's covenant through Father Abraham, they're thinking that by getting baptized, that they also will be, have insurance and that they will be protected. But John challenges them. He challenges them that if 
there was genuine repentance, then there would be fruit demonstrating that repentance. If these Pharisees and Sadducees were genuinely repentant, there definitely would be fruit that demonstrates this repentance. In Luke's version of this event, as I said, all four Gospels talk about John the Baptist, and we're looking at Matthew's version. But in Luke's version of this same event, when John tells them, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, the people actually respond, and they ask John the Baptist, what should we do then? What is it that we should do? What do you mean, produce fruit? And John actually mentions some specific examples of the kind of fruit that he's talking about. I don't have it up um, here for you, but in Luke chapter 3, verses 11 through 14, he actually tells them, he says things like, share your clothes and share your food with those who don't have any. He says things like, to the tax collectors and such, he says, don't collect more taxes than is necessary from the people. You know, don't skim from the top. Don't t collect more than um, you're supposed to and then keep the rest. And he talks to the soldiers and he says, don't take money by force. Don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely and be content with your pay. Don't always be jealous and, and greedy, but be content with what you have. This is living a life that produces fruit. Such things as this. Just a small sampling, just a small example. This is what it means to live a life that produces fruit. Otherwise, verse 10, the last verse in our um, text today, verse 10 says, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's the ominous last words here. The axe is already at the root. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What good is a fruit tree if it doesn't produce good fruit? There is absolutely no use for that fruit tree. A fruit tree that does not produce good fruit. And for us, as believers and followers of Christ, what are we if we're not producing good fruit? If we're not by what we say and do and our mannerisms and our behaviors and, and everything, if we're not able to shine the light and let people, you know, as Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, that people are able to see that light in us and get drawn to that light, fascinated by the light, curious by that light, and want what we have. So it's very curious when we see those who claim to be Christians and they are just mean, mean, mean people. You know what I'm talking about? They just Scrooge. They're just like really mean. They're just always, you know, very furrowed brows. And, and there's just nothing nice about them. You don't get a sense of peace and joy. The fruit of the Spirit. Peace, joy, you know, happy, all these kindness, goodness, uh, patience. You just don't get that sense from them. But I don't know. They may be a leader in the church. They may be a pastor. They may be an elder, deacon, choir director, what have you, a devout Christian, a Bible teacher, a seminary professor. I've had some cranky uh, Bible teachers and some seminary professors um, or TAs. But think about it. It's almost like a, it's a paradox, you know, to have Christians, to be followers of Jesus Christ and to be that way, to not have the fruit of the Spirit, to not produce fruit. I want to close with this. John the Baptist, he remained committed to his message. Oh boy, did he remain committed to his message. If you read later about how he died, the manner of how he died, 
he did not compromise his message. He did not. Um, he got beheaded. His head literally got cut off and placed on a platter, right? Um, but he was one who was committed to his message. He never deviated from it. He consistently preached the coming of the Lord. He consistently preached about that, warning the people to prepare, to prepare their hearts and to look for his coming. Prepare your hearts and look for the coming of the Lord. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is now here. So as we get ready for Christmas, with all the things that we have to do, all the things that we have to get done, remember this voice calling in the wilderness. Remember this one voice calling in the wilderness, reminding us of how to truly get ready for Christmas, reminding us of how we are to prepare for his coming again, and that we need to take a... a, example from John the Baptist, and we need to be the forerunners of Christ. More and more, this world, just everything you hear in the news, everything that's happening in politics, and just the fires, the tragedies, people dying, just everything, global warning, warming, all this kind of stuff, right? The world needs some good news. The world needs good news. Gospel means good news. And we are the carriers of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. More so than any other time during this Christmas season is when we are to be just as John the Baptist. We are to be the forerunners. We're to be running out there and telling people, prepare, 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 get ready. Do you know about this? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not the fat, jolly guy in the Santa suit, but something even more than Christmas presents. And that this is the time for us to prepare not only our hearts, our families, and our homes, but the world, that we're to extend it into our neighborhoods and beyond, into our communities, into the rest of the world. This time, more than any other time in the year, in this season, that we're to have the same message as John the Baptist, and that is to prepare ye the way of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand together.